Hey all my friends in the internet world, this is a Sermon MP3 from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. This is dated February 13, 2022. And this Sunday, we continue our series called Finding Your Keys to the Kingdom of God. And this Sunday, we are moving into covenant land and descendants. Uh, be prepared. God bless you as you listen. All right, so grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, uh, please feel uh, free to use one of the ones at the, in the pew ahead of you. If you don't have one at all, I encourage you to take one home with you. Uh, you can keep it. It's, uh, it's our gift to you. We'd be glad that you had it. And there are sermon notes at the door there if, as you came in. If you didn't get one, you can just wander back there and find it uh, for yourself. Um, thank you for those of you online who are joining us, and uh, let's get into God's Word today. And I, to do that, I want to kind of ask you a question just to kind of begin with. Do you remember the last book that you read? The women are all going, yep, yep. The guys are going, nope, nope. <laughs> do you remember the last book that you read? It might have been a long time ago, but do you remember it? Uh, if, if someone were to ask you what that book was all about, no doubt you would be able to explain it pretty easily, Right? Well, what if someone were to ask you what the Bible is all about? How would you answer? I, I know, Jesus, right? Well, it kind of reminds you of that, that and you've probably heard it before, the, the kid's own teacher who was trying to connect the Bible, uh, a Bible truth to the kids and, and sort of help them try to relate to it. And she asks everybody, you know, what's brown and furry and has a bushy tail and stores nuts over the winter? And the children are all kind of staring at the teacher, a little bit shy. But finally, one kid puts up her hand and sheepishly says, well, it sounds like a squirrel, but I'm going to say Jesus, you know. <laughs> you know, that's kind of the way we approach questions like this. What's the Bible all about? Well, it's about Jesus. Well, you know what? Jesus fills the entire New Testament. I mean, that's for sure. It's, it's really a huge role that, that he plays in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, not so much. You have to go looking between the pages sometimes to find it pointing forward to Jesus. But the Old Testament came to us, and it was a way for God the Father to point toward Jesus, for sure, that the reason the Father sent the Son is is all over the entire Old Testament. It builds up to why Jesus came. And that is the theme of the entire Bible, in fact. And what Jesus finally came on the scene to do, we read about that theme in many passages in the New Testament as Jesus is walking through and ministering in the world in the three and a half years that he had with us. But even before he came on the scene, if you remember the the great Christmas passage, right? Luke chapter 1, verse 30 to 33. So this is prior to his conception even, prior to his birth. And it says this, but the angel said to her, to Mary... Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You, have, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Luke chapter 22, you know, this is the Last Supper, verses 14 to 16. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in what? The kingdom of God. 
In Acts chapter 1, verse 3 to 4, as Jesus is finishing off his ministry here on earth and his time here on earth, he's about to ascend. It's after the resurrection, and he's about to go back to the Father. And one of the songs that we sang earlier gives this kind of picture to us. And it says there that in verses 3 to 4, he appeared to them, that is the disciples, and over a period of 40 days, he spoke about the kingdom of God. Like anybody, Jesus wanted the last things that he said to his disciples to be the most memorable and the most important thing of his life. And it was about the kingdom of God. I don't think there is such a thing as overstatement when it comes to the importance of the kingdom of God in the life and the ministry and the mission of Jesus. He said, that is why I have come, how I have been sent by my Father. It makes me wonder if I give enough attention to the kingdom of God in my life. And last week, we looked at the inauguration of the kingdom, that that message, that theme in the book of Genesis, chapters 1 to 3. From those primordial and first beginnings, we saw how God established himself as the sovereign over the cosmos, as king of the universe. And how he takes a unique creation, a man and a woman, and he builds into them the capacity to be his imagers here in this world. Co-rulers with him. He gave them the right to rule and to have dominion over all the earth. And he told them to be fruitful and multiply. Have a passel of kids and fill the earth. And if you pay attention as you walk through the Old Testament, that phrase keeps popping up over and over and over again. The Edenic mission and mandate to be fruitful and multiply pops up repeatedly. But then, but then we have the nudging of the serpent. Not a real snake. Adam and Eve gave up their imager status in order to choose to collude with this serpent to be sovereigns over their own lives and to reject, by choice, God's rule over them. They gave that up to be their own lords instead of imagers. And yet, even though Eden was lost, God granted a new Edenic promise to emerge out of their sin. That promise was that one day he would restore his imagers to their place in his kingdom as rulers upon the earth. Now, We're going to kind of jump forward in Genesis today to a major kingdom emphasis, but there is so much more in between. I wish we could get to it all. After being expelled from Eden, Adam and Eve obviously had more children, and they began to spread throughout the land, building cities and setting up boundaries. The takeaway from chapters 4 and 5 of Genesis is that God is providentially preserving a people. The sin of Cain in chapter 4 could have been the end of it all. That could have been the downfall and, and the death of all. But in chapter 5, there is sort of a kingdom reboot, if you will, that runs through the line of Seth instead. Chapter 5, uh, verses 3 to, four, 3 to 5 says this. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image. Sound familiar? And he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years, and then he died. Now, the genealogies of Genesis chapter 5, like the genealogies of Jesus, are certainly not complete. So don't bother trying to do the math, okay? There are gaps. 
And there, are, there is a unique way that the ancient Near Eastern peoples used to chronicle genealogies. Their interest was not in timelines, but in histories. How certain people moved across the earth. And sometimes people, even generations, get left out. And, and what, when it makes... But when it comes to the end, we get to a time with Noah. And something tragic happens again to the human race. Let's pick it up in Genesis chapter 5, or chapter 6, sorry, verses 5 to 8. It says there, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So once again, God in his sovereignty sees another kingdom reboot take place here. It's, It's a necessary reboot. And the flood, after the flood, wipes everybody out, all but Noah and his family. And after the waters recede from the earth, we read that Noah built an altar to the Lord, and he establishes a covenant, and the Lord establishes a covenant with him and his descendants. Listen to this covenant, Genesis 9, verses 1 to 3 and following. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Sound familiar? The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground, and on all the fish in the sea. They are, not, they are given into your hands. Sound familiar? That's dominion rule. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I, have, just as I gave you green plants, I now give you barbecue. Right on. For as for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. And so God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and and all the life on earth. The Edenic promise is reestablished by royal covenant through the line of Noah. And according to verse 19, from Noah's three sons came new clans of people. At first, these people were all situated in the areas south of Mount Ararat, where the ark had landed, which is in the whole area of the Mesopotamian basin. Now, chapter 11, which is the Tower of Babel incident, is actually chronologically before chapter 10 and the Table of Nations. Babel is the reason the Table of Nations was divided up. And Deuteronomy 32 explains why that really ha- what really happened at Babel. It says in verses 7 to 9, Remember the days of old, 
Consider the years of many generations, table of nations, when, or the genealogies. And when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, that's God disinheriting the nations at Babel. When he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Psalm 82, 89, Job 1, Isaiah 6, Isaiah 44, all talk about this fallen divine counsel. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted inheritance or heritage. It was at this Tower of Babel incident that God not only confused their languages, but he put the nations, all but one, Jacob, which doesn't even exist yet, under the governance of the sons of God, the fallen members of the divine council who become the gods of the nations around them. These are the same sons of God who earlier, before the flood, saw the daughters of men, of human beings, and that they were beautiful, and they married them, and they, cho- and they reproduced these Nephilim, these giant race of mighty men. And with the tower abandoned, finally, Scripture says that the Lord scattered these people all throughout the earth. And now we have the table of nations, chapter 10. Expanding all the borders all the way to the west, to the Great Sea or the Mediterranean, down through into Africa and out east into what we know as Persia or today modern-day Iran. And then once these kingdoms are formed, from the center of it all, from Ur of the Chaldees, that's kind of in the heart of Babylonia, the biblical story introduces us to a man named Abram. We're told that like his brothers, Abram married. And Abram's wife was Sarai. And we're given this small little point there at the end. And it says, Sarah was ch- Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. And then, after the death of his father, out of nowhere, Genesis 12 opens with this call from God. The Lord said, Genesis 12, verses 1 to 5, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That probably should be highlighted. So Abram went, just as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. No backstory. No explanation of how God introduced himself to Abram. Nowhere does it explain how Abram knew he could trust this new God. All he had known was the gods of Babylon and, and, and the Chaldeans. All we're told is that God gave him a command to go, followed by a promise. No explanation there of, of how he'd become a great nation. But the only thing that we are told is that Sarai was not able to have children. She could not conceive. So being a god, he would somehow have to enable Sarai to produce an heir for Abram. Now, the gods of the Babylonians and the Chaldeans, they were powerful beings. Ur was a city devoted to non-sin. In fact, he was the, the most powerful deity of the Chaldeans. 
Ur was a city devoted to him, and he was the moon god, the god of wisdom, the highest god in the Babylonian pantheon. Fertility was believed to be within his power. So why wouldn't Abram just switch on over? But as far as we know, Abe wouldn't have had any prior experience with this new god, Yahweh, to know whether or not he could trust him. All he knew was that this God had a name, and his name was Yahweh. Anytime you see a capitalized Lord in your Bible, that's the name Yahweh in the Old Testament. It kind of means, I am Lord of Lords. It's based on the I am statement of God. And when you see the capital L, followed by lowercase ord, that's the Hebrew for Adonai, which is a designate or status title. But Yahweh is his name. And that's all Abe had, a name. And he went with it. He never had parents who showed him that he could trust Yahweh. He never went to Sunday school to hear any stories about Yahweh. His understanding of Yahweh, the Lord, Lord of Lords, was less than what you and I know of the Lord today. But he went. He followed the command to go. You know what I think we can take away from this so far is this. Number one, when you're unclear about the Lord's will for your life, decide ahead of time who is going to be Lord of your life. When God decides that Abram should uproot his life and go to Canaan, even though Abram wasn't that familiar with this Lord, as much as he probably would have liked to be, Abe still treated Yahweh as Lord, the Lord of lords and God of gods. And as a result, he led his life that way. The Lord gave him favor as a result in all of his travels. And he arrived in Canaan. And the Lord kept guiding and speaking to Abram, reaffirming his kingdom plan with him. In one instance, traveling through Canaan, Yahweh's promise to Abram is threatened by four Mesopotamian kings. These kings take Abe's nephew, Lot, and his family and all the possessions that they had. They take him captive. And with only 318 trained men up against thousands, Abe rescues them all and along with the citizens and the king of Sodom, proving that God was behind their victory, not them with their small little army. After that, Abram gets a visit from Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the priest of God Most High, who blesses him. The boundaries of Abe's kingdom is expanding geographically. But Abe isn't content yet. Let's find out why. One night, chapter 15, verses 1 to 7. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, What can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate, by default, basically, is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Here's where Abram's trust in the promise of the kingdom of God gets tested. The Lord had shown Abe much favor so far. He defeated four undefeatable kings. He'd just been blessed by the priest of God Most High, this God that he's been following. He should have been flying on cloud nine. 
So why is he so bummed? He's bummed because he's arrived in Canaan. He set up altars all over the place, every place that he went in honor of the creator of heaven and earth, the scripture says. Time has passed, but God has still not given him an heir to his growing kingdom. And so as it stands, a servant is going to take up all the estate. Thanks, Lord. All these miles with you. And the only thing, only half of it has come true for me. And my wife and I are already too old now for babies. You missed your window. Have you ever thought that? This far into Abram and Sarai's experience with Yahweh brings a lesson from the night sky for us. What do you do when God seems either slow to act or even absent altogether? Maybe he's forgotten you, you think. This is our second point. Number two, when you're confused or afraid about the future, count on what you've seen the sovereign Lord do already. Let me repeat that. When you're confused or afraid about the future, count on what you've seen the sovereign Lord do already. Don't you wish you had some way of peering into the future for some things? You know, it's kind of the, 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 uh, the theme, uh, the, an instance in, in a lot of movies, you know, where there's time travel involved. Like, do you really want to know what happened in the future? If you did, will that control how you do? Will you make more mistakes? And so on and so forth. Abe, he didn't have all that. But he did have something called the night sky. Number one, look up at the night sky. Genesis 15, verses 4 to 7. When the, Lord, when the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and to take possession of it. In other words, I've already gone, come through on half the promise. Don't stop now, Abe. You can look up at the night sky. And you and I can look up at the night sky. We can look up at the night sky every night and see, well, except some Saskatchewan nights you can't, but most nights you can see the promise of God to Abram and Sarai. Like Noah, look at the next rainbow that appears in the sky so that you can see into your future. Don't just trust, don't just see a flood, but see the promise of God not to destroy the world like that ever again. Like Adam and Eve, look at your face in the mirror when you wake up in the morning and see that you are an imager of the king of all the earth, his representative here on this planet. Look at all that your sovereign Lord has already done in the history of the world. Track it back. Is there anything the Lord cannot do? No. Verse 7, he said, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. None of your other gods did this for you, but I did this for you. And if you jump ahead in your Bibles, if you just want a quick glimpse into Abraham's future to the genealogy of Jesus, 
We look at the genealogy. Of, we looked at the genealogy of Adam last week. We looked at the genealogy of Noah and of Abraham. Look at Jesus's genealogy. Matthew one verses one to two and seventeen. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the sons of David, the son of who? Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, and all the way down through the generations till it sums it up in verse 17. Thus were the 14 generations in all, from Abram, Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. In other words, track it back. Track it back. Look at the history. Look at what I've done. I am the Lord your God. God designed your Bibles to be kind of to fill it with milestones and histories so that you can look back and see that He alone is sovereign over all the world to be able to fulfill His Edemic promise to crush that serpent's head and to bring about the kingdom of God through His Messiah. Who else has the power to direct the course of of human reproduction and biology and politics and and religion and continental drifts? Who else possesses that kind of sovereignty to bring about the king of heaven and earth to this planet to preach the inaugural fulfillment of the kingdom of God? Yahweh, the Lord of Abraham, is without question the Lord of all. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. Hallelujah. He is supreme over the kings of the nations and the gods who control them. Genesis 15, verses 5 to 6, he took him outside and said, Look up at the sky, Abram. Count the stars, if indeed you can. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed, Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. And folks, that faith is what made Abram the father of the faith, both ours and Judaism. And as well, the father of many nations. And that faith is how God fulfilled his promise to bless the nations on the earth through him. Again, pointing ahead. Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 to 9. This is in the New Testament. Abraham believed God. They're looking back, tracking it back. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you, Scripture says. Those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. That gospel announced to Abraham, track it all the way through the generations since Abe and Sarah. It is the gospel of inheritance in the kingdom of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the gospel you and I have heard. You and I, thousands of years since, are now among the nations that were blessed through Abraham. Blessed to have this gospel of inheritance given to us. We can now be called sons of God by faith in Christ. We now possess a kingdom and we are heirs to the throne of God as a result of Jesus. And by the same faith, it makes us the family of God with Abraham. So... 
when you're confused or afraid about your future. Maybe this last year, there's been a lot of that. As family and friends get uprooted and jobs are threatened and health is threatened. Maybe you're wondering what this next year holds. When you're confused or afraid about your future, count on what you have already seen the sovereign Lord already do. That only He is capable, only He is capable of keeping you secure in that Edenic and Abrahamic promise. And you are now a child of God. What else do you need? Genesis 21, though. Abraham still needed something fulfilled. And here it is. Genesis 21, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Remember, Sarah got a promise too. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abram, Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. This would have been big news. Even in their day, a 90-year-old woman and her 100-year-old hubby give birth to a son without fertility treatments. If you know the whole story, Sarah considered herself worn out. And the husband, uh, her husband was as good as dead, we're told, in the New Testament. This was without question a miracle from Yahweh, the Lord of Lords. Not the fertility gods of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. This was Yahweh that did this. It was by his divine intervention. And if you remember the earlier part of their journey, Abe and Sarah are called out of their hometown of Ur. And then Haran, it's in Babylonian territory, by a god they didn't know at the time. They had no experience with him, remember. This god called himself a name. He was Yahweh. Lord of lords, and that's all they knew. Lord of lords and God of gods, the maker of heaven and earth. And for some reason, would it be enough for you? But it was enough for him. And by faith, he left and he went. They didn't know they could trust this God with their future at this point. And yet, by faith, they packed up everything and they followed after the promise of God, this God named Yahweh. Probably because he was the only God that really spoke. Abe was 75 then when they started out. And now 30 years later, walking through Canaan, claiming territory after territory in the name of Yahweh, setting up altars in the name of the uh, the creator of all the earth, and now 100 years young. (laughs) God's promise is fulfilled, and Abe and Sarah have a baby in their old age. They should have been grandparents by now, probably great-great-grandparents. Great-great-great-great-grandparents at 100. Friends, faith in God's promises are the keys to the kingdom. And you can track that from Old to New Testament. The keys to the kingdom is faith in the promises of God. He was a promised, fulfilled Isaac was. But remember, this child Isaac was also an heir. An heir from Abram, Abraham and Sarah's own body. He was the second fulfillment that that the kingdom that God promised would be fulfilled through Abraham, both in land and descendants. And now, in Abraham's mind, it's a sure thing. 
And yet when you get into the book of Hebrews, it tells us that Abraham didn't see the final fulfillment of this, of this kingdom plan. You should read that book one day. When you're unclear about the Lord's will for your life, like Abraham, decide ahead of time who is going to be Lord of your life and make your decisions based on him. When you're confused or afraid about the future, like Abraham, count on what you've already seen your sovereign Lord do. And it might take you some time to track it from Old Testament to New. But you could look at Abraham's story. You can see how he looked up at the night sky and how that has become fulfilled in Abraham. And still not yet. We got the James Webb telescope on, on, on opening up now. We're going to be able to see even more stars that our human eyes can't see. And so shall his offspring be. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, Lord of lords, God of gods, King of kings, maker of heaven and earth. Lord, I hear the word that you're asking all of us today. Is there anything too difficult for me? And together as a people, even though maybe there have been times where our faith has been shaken, things haven't turned out quite like we'd like for our lives in some ways, shapes, and forms, but together as a people we say, no, Lord, there is nothing too great for you. You are Lord. And Father, as a people today and as individuals today, we just make the claim that you are Lord of this church. And you are Lord of our lives. Maybe just tell the Lord what's on your heart right now. Just tell him, Lord, you are Lord of my life. And Lord, we make the claim based on your promises that you are Lord of our futures. And there are so many futures here, all of them going in different directions, but all of them ending up in one point. The ultimate fulfillment and the redemption of this world and the kingdom of God. When our Christ shall return and take up his church, we will rule and reign with him forever. And we thank you for that promise. We look forward to that promise. We work toward that promise as we pick up the command of the Great Commission in Matthew 28 to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing, teaching them to obey. And with that, we have your promise. And we can bank on your promise. We know that from what we've already seen in your book. You are with us always to the very end of the age. And now, Lord, tomorrow, Monday morning, let us pick up that same promise and go forward into our day knowing that you are with us always and your kingdom will be complete. And God's people said, amen. God bless you, folks.